Well, good morning. It's good to be with you on this brisk and breezy fall day. It might be jacket weather, maybe, here in Minnesota at this point. But uh, it's good to be with you, and I also want to greet those who are watching in the Fellowship Hall and those who may be watching from home today. Thank you for joining us. It's good for us to be together in all the ways that God calls us to be together as his people. Well, Ole was making his way home after a long day's work. As he came in through the front door, he was exhausted and winded, and Lena noticed and looked at him and said, Well, Ole, what have you been up to? Ole looked back to Lena and said, Well, you know, Lena, pastor was sharing with us this last Sunday about, about stewardship, and I had an idea about how we could better steward our money. So today after work, instead of taking the bus home, I decided to run behind it the whole way home, saving us a whole two dollars. Lena looked at him and said, Ollie, that wasn't very bright. You could have run behind a taxi and saved us twenty dollars. <laughs> We're talking about stewardship. Yes, we are. And we're into our second week of a sermon series, a mini-sermon series entitled God Provides. And if you weren't with us last week, I would encourage you to go check it out online. But even for those who were, I want to give us a little bit of a review on a key point, a key biblical point that we focused on last week, and it is this. God is the source. We are the resource. Let's just say that together with me. God is the source. We are the resource. You brought nothing into this world, and you will take nothing from it when you die. Everything you have in this life, including your very life itself, is a gift from God. Your home and everything in it, your abilities and intellect, your vocation and employment, your money and financial assets, your family and friends, all of it has its source in God and is given to you by God's providence. God provides us with everything. And he gives it all to us knowing that we need it because God is good and he is the ultimate source of everything. And that means that we are now the resource of God towards the world around us. This is the biblical idea of stewardship. And for those of you who might be unfamiliar with the word stewardship, it's a biblical word, but the more modern translation of that would simply be management. Management. As you know, management is about taking care of something that is not yours. A manager is not an owner. The owner is the one who provides and has everything, but he puts in place managers to take care of that which he or she decides they need to take care of. And a good manager is one who wisely oversees those gifts. They are resources. Human resources, financial resources, natural resources. All of those things are resources that we are to give out to the world as a part of God's blessing. You see, we are full participants in God's plan to be a blessing to the world. 
It's a promise that he gave to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. And this multiplication also has a metaphor in the Bible. Blessed to be a blessing is about sowing and reaping. And we talked quite a bit about that last week. I won't review that for you. I would encourage you again. If you haven't seen it, go back and take a look at it last week. But today, we want to further our understanding of biblical stewardship. And to do so, we are going to look closely at a passage of Scripture that I referenced last week, but that we did not read. It's in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you have your Bible with you, please feel free to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Again, you can open it up in your pew Bible. You can open it up on your phone, whatever way that you have it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to begin reading at verse 1, but I want to set the stage for you here. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth as he has probably written a letter of similar stature to many of the churches that he planted. We don't have those other particular letters referencing what he's talking about here in 2 Corinthians, but we have a clear picture of what Paul is up to. Paul is writing to the churches he has planted to collect an offering, a very specific offering for a very specific need. The need is the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was struggling. They had many needs, and they were calling out for those needs and asking for help. And the apostle Paul took it upon himself to reach out to the churches he had planted to see how they could be generous in giving towards this church in Jerusalem. And in doing so, in particular, as he writes this letter to the church at Corinth, he wants to make an example of another church that he had spoken with as a way of encouraging this church in Corinth. And that's where we pick up the story in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty 
might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Powerful words, a powerful exhortation by the Apostle Paul to this church in Corinth. And there is so much that we can learn about this. But something that stands out over and again in this particular passage is one word, and that word is grace. Grace. In fact, in the center of all that Paul has to share here, he puts this exhortation and encouragement before the church at Corinth. See to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. Giving is grace. Grace is giving. As a matter of fact, the words are very closely linked together in Greek. The word is charis, and it means grace. It also means gift. And we know that in gifts is implied giving. So excelling in this grace of giving. I want to point out some particular things about what it means to be a graceful giver. Graceful giving is about love, not consumption. The Apostle Paul tells the church at Corinth that he wants to test the sincerity of your love. That that love is the motivating factor. And this is absolutely true as I've witnessed it over and over again in congregations. You see, you can give without loving. But you can't love without giving. Built in to love is an action an action towards our neighbor, an action that is outside of ourselves, toward God and towards others. It implies giving. So the impulse is always a place of love. Love tied into this grace, which is a gift. Now that's over and against the idea of consumption. Well, what is the contrast here? Well, it's pretty simple. When I go to a movie, I expect to pay for a ticket. And once inside the doors, I then look to get some beverage and some popcorn, and I pay for those things at the counter. And in return, I get popcorn and a beverage. Then I go in and sit down and enjoy the movie. And when I'm done, I throw away what's left over, which is normally nothing, and I make my way home. That is a transaction. And that happens any time that I go to see a movie. Now, something I do not do is regularly send a check to the movie theater just because. That's not the way it works when you are making a transaction. We are not transactional in the way that we approach 
church. Our giving is not giving to get something. It's not a payment for services rendered. Giving is a grace. Giving is an extension of the grace and love of God towards us. It's a response to God's goodness and a furtherance of his grace to see his love and mission accomplished in the world. And that perfect example, of course, is Jesus himself. Jesus who comes and gives everything, exchanging his own richness of being in the Godhead, part of the Trinity, but descending to the world, becoming like one of us, becoming poor in every way, even to death on a cross. So that from that place, we are enriched. It's about love, all motivated by love. Graceful giving is about love, not consumption. Secondly, graceful giving is a privilege, not an obligation. Paul makes it very clear as he speaks to the church here in Corinth. He says, I am not commanding you, but he is encouraging He is encouraging them because he wants them to participate. And here's the thing. We get to participate in God's mission. It is a privilege to give. It is a privilege to be able to participate in partnership with what God wants to accomplish in the world. The fact that God chooses you and chooses me is perhaps a miracle that we won't fully understand until we are in heaven, right? But he does. He graciously gifts us so that we, in turn, can fully participate in his mission and his ministry in the world. Giving is a privilege, not an obligation. We can turn giving into an obligation. It's very easy to make giving into something that is a law unto itself. I always want giving to be something motivated by love that becomes a privilege to participate in because that's what grace is about. Third, graceful giving is about letting go, not holding over. This is an important thing. We don't give financially to the ministry of God through the church as a way of manipulating things. It can be easy to do, and it leads itself back to that transactional view of giving. Well, I'll give as long as the sermons don't offend me. I'll give as long as they sing the songs that I want or play the hymns that I like. I'll give so long as the pastor is dressed properly. Of course, that's not why we give. And of course, that's not why you give. Because I've seen that grace work in your lives again and again and again. You see, that grace in giving is about letting go. It's about letting go of our control of things. I don't know about you, but I like to control that which I can control. Anybody with me? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) But it's true. 
Of course, there's things that I like to be in control of. But when it comes to my giving, when it comes to giving to God's work through the church, it's about letting go. It's about trusting that what God wants to accomplish is going to be accomplished through faith and by him and through his work in the world. Now, of course, there are specific opportunities where we give to something specifically. We're going to be talking about the roof, right? There are mission gifts and particular things that we give to. But even in that, there is a letting go of control. There's a letting go and trusting that whatever part it is that you are to play is the part that God has called you to play. And entrusting that those who are going to be stewarding further those resources will do it with integrity and do it wisely. So graceful giving is about letting go, not holding over. Next, graceful giving is about attitude, not amount. It's so fascinating to take a look at this Example from the Macedonian church. They were impoverished. They were in dire straits. Paul makes it clear that if anything, this particular church should be looking to receive something. But no, instead, they urgently pleaded to give. When is the last time you urgently pleaded to give something away? And I mean something that you actually liked. This heart, this attitude that says, I get to participate. Not only do I get to participate, I want to see to it that they have whatever it is that they need. I remember serving on a mission trip to a church down in Playa del Carmen. I brought a group of students to do some work on their roof, needless to say, a little bit of a parallel there. We were down there to help supply and do the labor to put a roof on top of their building. The Sunday following, we were privileged to be able to join them in worship and participate in the worship service. It was such a joy, so much overflowing love and praise from that small congregation. And as they worshiped and prayed, they received an offering, just like Every church does. And the flow of the service was beautiful. And when they came to the end of the service, they asked if they could pray for us. So we gathered the teens together. And that group of beautiful servants of Jesus gathered around us in a circle, laid hands on us, and began to pray for us. It was powerful and moving. And that's when it happened. That's when the pastor took the envelope full of the morning's offering, walked up to me, and wanted to place it into my hands. As you can imagine, I didn't know what to say. Other than to say, thank you, and really, this needs to stay with you. And again, she said, no, I want you to take it. And I said, please, dear sister, thank you so much. But we want you to continue the work here. 
And she smiled graciously and took the envelope away, saving me from what would have been an incredibly awkward situation. But I was so deeply moved that this tiny church with a group of us Americans down there on a mission trip wanted to take their offering and bless others with it. That's an attitude. It's not about the amount. See, we don't compare our giving to others. As Paul says, each should give according to their means. And whatever it is that those means are, God will receive it and receive it with joy. Because it's about an attitude, not an amount. So how do we excel in this grace of giving? Well, let me give you four simple ways to excel in the grace of giving. First of all, give as an act of worship. Give as an act of worship. Now, I know it's challenging in these new digital ages to figure out exactly how you make that work. Because some folks give electronically, others will give by writing a check, some will give by placing cash into the place as it goes by. And so sometimes we can lose sight if we are doing it in another way or if we've set it up automatically somehow to do this. We lose sight of the fact that giving is a part of our act of worship. But however you do it, do it with a worshipful heart. Do it as a way of adoring and loving and praising God. Not as payment for something from God, but as thanksgiving towards God. So give as an act of worship. Second, give regularly. Now regularly can mean different things for different people. As I mentioned, some people set up something automatic to be able to, to, to do their giving. But when we give sporadically, we kind of set ourselves up to fail. We set ourselves up in a position where sometimes we will have forgotten to give over a period of time and then all of a sudden the guilt sets in and, and we feel under judgment and I don't want anybody to feel that way about giving. Yes, we're going to do it imperfectly. But when we get ourselves into a rhythm of regularity, whether it's weekly or monthly or whatever it is, it helps us to excel as generous, grace-filled givers. Third, give the first portion. I've been a tither my entire life, giving 10% of what it is that I have brought in an income back to the Lord. And it's the first line on the budget line for Angela and I. We look at what it is that we are expecting to earn over the course of a year. We divide that up, and every time a check arrives, that first portion is what we give. It's called first fruits giving. It's what the Bible speaks about. And again, it's simply an attitude that says to God, God, before I do anything else, I trust in your provision. And so I place this into your hands, trusting and knowing that you are good and that our needs will be met. And then as I mentioned, the T word, I'll say it again, fourth is about accelerating towards tithing. Tithing is a biblical concept. It's a biblical concept of taking 10% of what it is that we have and setting it aside for the work of God through his church. Now, it's not a magic number. Sometimes people can get so caught up, well, pastor, should I tithe off the gross or should I tithe off the net? Or, or wait, wait a minute, what if I miss the, the, or the wrong or my math is bad or whatever? Listen, it, this is not about legalism. 
This is not about trapping you in some kind of a a give-it-to-get-it kind of thing with God. It doesn't work that way. But it is a helpful way of understanding God's principles and ways of giving generously. Many of you are already at this place. Many of you give far beyond a tithe. God bless you. Thank you for the way in which God is working through you. For others, this may be a really big step. So here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you. Those of you who have perhaps never given anything financially to the work of God through his church, I want to give you a challenge. And I call this the $1 challenge. Starting this Sunday, give $1. Next Sunday, give $2. The following Sunday, give $3. Can you see where I'm going with this? Continue that for two years, simply adding $1. After two years, you'll be giving $100 a week. And you won't miss it. It will build your faith. God says, trust me in this. So that's my challenge before you. If you've never given before, start and see what God does. See how God shows you in your own life the ways in which he provides. Because we become acutely aware of God's provision when we are stretched by faith to trust in him. So that's my challenge for us to grow and excel in this grace of giving. Finally this. (laughs) Your giving doesn't buy you anything from God or from this church or from me. You are a treasure. You are a gift. You are a gift who has been claimed by God, adopted into his family as a son or a daughter, and purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Don't ever doubt for a minute how much you are loved, regardless of anything that you ever place in an offering plate. You are a gift of grace to this community, and God's gift of grace is always toward you. With that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have graced us with every good gift. From creation to the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of it you have done as a work of love for us. I thank you, Father, for this good and perfect gift. And now, Lord, as we look to respond, Father, by your Holy Spirit, give us grace to excel in the grace of giving. 
to see giving not as an obligation, Lord, but as a privilege, motivated by love, empowered by your spirit, built on faith in you as the one who provides for everything that we need in every circumstance. And may it all be, Lord, to your praise and glory and honor. We pray these things today, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen.